This week on New Mexico in Focus, dealing with mental health challenges and how to reach out during the pandemic. So if we live with those thoughts and we're all alone and we don't get feedback from other people, we then end up exacerbating the thinking. And a postcard from the Bosque in autumn as our land returns. New Mexico in Focus starts now. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm your host, Gene Grant. To say it's been a hard year for mental health is to barely scratch the surface of what many of us are feeling and thinking as we enter a season that's traditionally been tough on a lot of people. We'll talk to an expert and to someone who's seeking counseling for the first time. We'll also check in with Congresswoman Deb Holland about priorities for a post she's been connected to, Secretary of the Interior. The Light Opinion Panel looks at the crisis at New Mexico hospitals and at businesses looking for relief. They'll also look ahead to the upcoming legislative session. We start with the changing fortunes of some of New Mexico's top political figures. Welcome to the podcast edition for New Mexico in Focus. Today is Friday, December 11th, 2020, as we barrel towards the end of another year. And a memorable one at that. Want to let you know, coming up at the end of the month, we will do our annual countdown of the top 10 stories of the year. We actually taped those with some talented journalists from across the state today. So uh, be looking for that on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. But as for this week, you heard it in Gene's tease there. We've got a lot of politics for you on this week's show, as well as some other things. Um, and especially one of our favorites, which we really encourage you, if you like what you hear, to go to our website at newmexicoinfocus.org and click on Our Land so you can watch it because it really is a visual feast. It is Our Land Week, and this week we're paying tribute to one of the natural wonders of this place we call home. That's the Albuquerque Bosque, which is a little underrated this time of year by a lot of folks, but as you will see, plenty of beauty, plenty of fun critters, plenty of fun things to see and to hear and experience. We want to bring you a taste of that. We hope you enjoy listening to it, but really encourage you to go take a look. You can also go to the Ireland Facebook page. Uh, we've got a lot of additional photos and videos that we've posted on there. So lots of fun stuff coming up on the show this week. As usual, we're going to kick things off with the line. And joining us this week on the line, turned out that uh, by coincidence, we've got all former lawmakers with us this week. We've got former Senator Eric Griego, as well as former Senator Diane Snyder. She's one of our regulars. Another regular, former House Minority Whip Dan Foley. And we're going to kick things off this week with a story that's been top of the headlines. Interesting week for our governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham. A lot of behind-the-scenes drama in terms of the president-elect Biden's transition. Uh, her name was being floated around for a while for the Department of Health and Human Services as the secretary of that department. Then that seemed to go away. Then there were reports that she was offered the Department of the Interior, which she turned down, in which a lot of other names from New Mexico are also in the mix there. So a super complicated issue also, you're going to hear the folks talk about the re-election of Steve Pierce as the Republican Party chairman, and uh, lots of interesting takes there. So nice political roundup to get you going this week. So let's kick it right over there now with host Gene Grant. Michelle Lujan Grisham has had better weeks once the odds-on favorite for a post in the Biden cabinet as Secretary of Health and Human Services, the governor, who was co-chair of the president-elect's transition team, by the way, apparently fell out of favor. Why that happened, we can't be certain. There are reports she was offered a cabinet job at the Department of the Interior, which didn't seem to make much sense. And there are stories that somehow she was seen as trying to orchestrate her appointment to HHS. Now, here to make some sense of that and other notable political news is our line opinion panel. We welcome back to our virtual table this week, former state senator, head of New Mexico Working Families Party, Eric Griego. Another former state senator and line regular, Diane Snyder, is back. And former House Minority Whip and line regular, Daniel Foley, returns. Dan, keep that fist down. I'm going to start with you. Let's start with that whole orchestration and quotes there thing. Part one, is it bad to say no to a job she didn't feel qualified for or want? 
No, not at all. I think, um, you know, I think, I think, look, it's, you know, we, we were talking off the air about an exclusive club being in the U.S. Senate of 100 people. Mm-hmm. You're in a pretty exclusive club when you're a governor of oh, there's only 50 of them. And, um, you know, when you're, a, you know, as we all know, and it's it's a, you know, being a cabinet member is clearly and would be an unbelievable opportunity. But giving up a chance to run the state and be the executive of the state, um, I think unless I was given the opportunity to take the very specific cabinet position I wanted, I'd stay right at home and, and be the governor of, of, of a state. I just think it's more there's more to do. Uh, there's more opportunity. You can make a bigger change. And more importantly, you're not carrying someone else's water. You're creating the water that other people are carrying. Mm. And um, and that's that's kind of an in, that to me. That's a that's a big factor, especially for someone who's been on the legislative side, been on the. You know, she, she was a congresswoman. She's been a secretary at the state level where she's had to carry out other people's plans. Right now, it's all her plans all the way. And I, I just, you know, it would have to be a pretty pretty choice opportunity for me to say uh, I want to go from being the captain to being the, the you know, the first lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Eric Rego, part two of that question. Uh, if she's advocating for a job she does want, is that orchestrating in your mind? Or is that just how politics goes? You know, there's this really tricky balance uh, between, you know, showing interest, you know, getting the word out, but demurring. It was a little bit like the vice presidential stakes. You know, you have you have to do this dance in mm-hmm. politics between, you know, lining up support but not pushing too hard. Um, you know, um, you know, feigning, <laughs> feigning, you know, disinterest. And uh, she was in the dance, but I, I you know, I think at some level. I, I don't think she just wanted, I mean, to dance, but I don't think she just wanted any job in the cabinet. She's two years into her governor's term. She's got, you know, we got a lot going on here. Um, She's the chief executive of a state, you know, granted we're not a big state, but you know, she's still in charge of the executive branch of government, which is a pretty big deal. And, you know, why leave that for, uh, for a cabinet job that maybe, you know, I'm I'm sure she had a lot, you know, she's got some background. She's worked a lot on environmental issues and conservation issues. So it wouldn't been, I think she would have been fine and competent at the, at the, at the interior department, but you know, her heart and her career has been around healthcare, right? That she was the health secretary. It's, it's been where she's, you know, it's been to what she's passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, um, you know, sometimes, you know, people forget there's a very finite number of cabinet positions and there are literally thousands of people who are in the running. So, um, it's not like an election where anybody steps up and just runs. It's like, you gotta, you gotta line up a lot of ducks. You gotta get a lot of people lined up mm-hmm. and, you know, these things go, these things go squirrely for any number of reasons that have nothing to do with competence or, uh, you know, it's timing. It's, it's a whole series of factors. So right. she'll be fine. Um, I think, uh, I think Howie, uh, I think the Lieutenant governor is kind of bummed about it. You know, um, he was, I think, you know, looking forward to maybe getting his shot, but, uh, but you know, I'm sure he'll uh, he'll get his shot at some point. And uh, you know, I'm sh- a lot of folks are glad she's here. I'm, I know there's some folks maybe who aren't so glad that she didn't leave. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, you know, she'll be around for a while, I think. Mm-hmm. Senator Snyder, you know, uh, CNN and Politico and others say it's either uh, Congresswoman Holland or Senator Udall uh, for this interior position that's still being sort of kicked around. Uh, mm-hmm. What's your sense of that? And my my question is, the meaning there is, your sense of it for New Mexico. What does New Mexico get out of it if one of those folks does get an interior nod or they don't, actually? What's the upshot for us? Well, if they don't, I think it's going to be uh, some very unhappy people in New Mexico Mm -hmm. because um, I... I mean, I wasn't a big supporter of either one of them, but they are New Mexicans and I want them to be successful. And so if they went out of state and went someplace else, I kind of feel the same way about the governor. How could she's the most qualified person I know of all the ones they mentioned? And yet she wasn't chosen. Mm -hmm. The fact that other New Mexicans are being seriously considered, at least that's what we're, we're hearing for the Department of the Interior to offer that job to her and even more if she had taken it, how disruptive that might have become to the Democratic Party in New Mexico. Mm. And I think that's, uh, I think that would have been bad. The one person you left out uh, uh, that I think also has a serious chance at it is Senator Heinrich. Mm -hmm. And if Senator Heinrich was chosen, then Representative Congresswoman Holland would stay in place and 
Tom Udall would ride off into the sunset with his other relatives. But um, the piece that people don't think about, or maybe they do and haven't mentioned it, is the fact if Senator Heinrich was appointed, then Governor Lujan would be the one replace, appointing his replacement. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much tradition, at least in most states I've seen, is the governor appoints themselves to become that senator. Then how he does become the, uh, the governor and the lieutenant governor, I, I learned, uh, gets appointed, but it has to have Senate approval, uh, state Senate approval before they can become the new lieutenant governor. So, and one other thing that a lot of people may not know is uh, Governor Lujan has an elderly mother who is in care and you know it, that's hard to go off and right. and leave your 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 parent. So I think all of those played into her decision. And I'm I'm with her. If it wasn't the job I really wanted, mm -hmm. then I've got a great one. I wouldn't be leaving it to go and just be a cabinet secretary. Sure, Dan Foley. Let's kind of what if here for just a little bit. And going back to Congresswoman Holland, if she in fact got the nod and she accepted it, uh, the domino is falling over in the district. Would be very interesting. Um, I have to ask straight up, would that be an opportunity for Mark Ronchetti? Um, you know, that's a, that, that seat since Heather Wilson left has been getting, it, you know, it's been getting more and more, uh, you know, Eric Griego's done a very good job of turning that seat more and more towards him. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that there would be an opportunity for a Republican to win that seat. Uh, it, it would be a special election. So that means the next election that rolls up, there'd be a House seat, uh, there'd be a House seat up. So the question is, you know, with the legislature, with all the other stuff going on, uh, do the Democrats lose interest? Uh, and more importantly, who their candidate is, right? I mean, if you have a seat like that, uh, if Deb Holland takes that job, you know, we could probably sit here and in 30 seconds come up with 10 names right. that are going to throw their name in there. Yep. And I don't think you could come up with 10 Republicans that are going to throw their name in there. You might get two. And so, you know, you're going to wind up having an unbelievable battle to just get, you know, the, the Democrat nominee out of there, even though it's not going to be done, you know, in a primary battle. It's still going to take there's going to be a lot of bloodletting to get that that representative. Um, I don't so but I don't think the Republicans have a chance. I don't think Deb Holland's going to get the job. Right. I think it's going to go to Tom Udall. He's it's the easiest transition. Right. He's already announced his retirement. Mm -hmm. You've got people running for the seat. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just seems and he's. You know, he's he fits a long line of Udalls that have uh, been Department of Interior folks. So, I mean, I would I would see him doing it. It'd be interesting to see a New Mexican be the first Native American to get that position. Sure. Uh, that, that would be an interesting kudos. That would be something that would be in the record books for New Mexico. Let me let me hustle a couple of other things here real quick. I want to get to Steve Pierce being elected to another term as party chair. Eric, let me start with you. Um, most of the other top choices, pretty conservative Trump supporting names. What did it for him? I, you know, there's been so much controversy around Steve Pierce over this past tenure, but he's back in. Yeah, I was surprised, honestly, because uh, um, I do have a few Republican friends, uh, including Dan, who um, were not huge fans of Steve Pierce. And um, and uh, given the outcome of the election, I mean, I guess you could claim, you know, picking up that congressional down south was a was a win but you know they lost a seat in the senate they mm -hmm. they uh they narrowly picked up a seat in the house but overall the body both the house and the senate moved in a much more i think progressive direction according to if you if you believe you know sort of what people are saying and um which i do mm -hmm. um you know cd1 it was you know trounced i mean if there was any opportunity uh to like move that make that even a close race they got you know deb holland who frankly has been a pretty pretty uh liberal progressive pro-conservation uh congressional can uh, mm -hmm. congressional member um you know you would think that if that if there was any swinginess to cd1 that would have gone in a more republican direction so eric i feel do like me a favor i need to i need to swing in the other two here real quick i want to get their opinion uh on this situation we're just getting a little crunchy on time senator snyder your your, your sense of the steve pierce uh re-election in his future another run for governor in there or how do you see this all working out? I don't know anything specifically, but that would be the most logical step to me mm -hmm. if that was what he was doing. I will say there are, that many of the candidates that I've talked to, uh, they got more help this year from the party than they had have than we got many years ago. And so at the and the campaign they put together 
uh, with Steve McKee and his folks of the Respect New Mexico mm -hmm. was a great beginning. Unfortunately, I, I'm one of those people that I wanted to have a call to action in that that campaign. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like we got that, which is very, very important because you saw the Democratic Party going out and doing that call to action, mm -hmm. registering uh, people to vote, getting them out. Let me, let all me do of this. We're going to pick up some yeah. of that, some of that stuff in, a, in, a, in another segment here a little quick. But okay. Dan, real quick, 20 seconds, if you can, on Steve Pierce. Uh, yeah, how I mean, deep is the party's bench? And, and, you know, he well, there's no, part, there's no party bench. I okay. mean, you asked Eric how he won the election. Well, when you hold the election offline and you count the votes in a back room, you can always win an election. We've seen that work in every third world country in, in America. Um, I disagree with, with Senator Schneider. I think that, you know, we have a guy who ran at the top of the ticket for the U.S. Senate, came actually came pretty respectable in a race against Ben Ray Lujan, who's a very well-known name, zero help from the state party, no help from the state party. The state party has turned into a, a, a group of, if you're not on the in crowd, if you're not one of the cool kids, uh, you're not part of it. They're doing nothing to build the bench. They're doing nothing to bring people to the party. At a time when Republicans were winning congressional seats across the country, clearly the one thing we learned this last election cycle, they don't like President Trump, but the Republican message is not a bad message right now except in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think, you know, if you're going to do that, if if Steve Pierce ran for party chair so that he could run for governor, uh, I would tell you this, if he makes it through the primary for whatever seat he's running for, it's an automatic victory for a Democrat candidate. Right of time. We'll have to leave that there. We're back talking COVID in a few minutes. Up next, we talk to Congresswoman Deb Holland. We mentioned Representative Deb Holland in that discussion in terms of her potential still for Secretary of the Department of the Interior. And we recently sat down with Deb Holland as part of our groundwater war investigation looking at contamination from firefighting foams at five military installations in New Mexico, most notably there, Holloman and Cannon Air Force Base. You can read about all that, watch videos, see our enterprise reporting there by heading to nmpbs.org and looking for the Groundwater War link, which is also on the New Mexico and Focus page as well. So you're going to hear from Representative Holland about that in, uh, in the coming weeks. But while we had her, we wanted to talk to her about her interest and her thoughts about potentially getting the nomination from President-elect Biden to head up the Department of the Interior. Representative Holland, thank you so much for joining me today. It's lovely to see you and I appreciate your time. You've been mentioned as a pick for the Biden administration to lead the U.S. Department of the Interior. I'm curious whether that's you or somebody else leading the agency. What are some of the priorities that you feel are critical for the coming years for that agency? Um, so when I think about the work that I've done here in Congress over the past term, um, I'm on the Natural Resources Committee, and we have oversight over the Department of Interior, and we've had a number of administrative, um, you know, folks come in, so we could ask them questions about why they're doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, one of the things that was so prevalent in this Trump administration is the fact that um, these folks threw tribal consultation out the window. Um, tribal consultation is a mandate, essentially. Um, you know, the federal government, the, the presidential administration has an obligation to um, consult with tribes before they uh, make decisions that would have an effect on these tribes. And um, the Trump administration, they've cut off big swaths of our public lands gutted the EPA and and um, these are have have effects not just on tribes and yes they shouldn't be consulting with tribes but they've had large effects on our public lands uh, for the people who want to enjoy those public lands um, right now the uh, president-elect Biden has a climate plan and an environmental plan um, that is progressive, that, that, that addresses climate change in this crisis that we are going through right now. And I think whoever gets picked for the Department of the Interior uh, will have a very clear agenda to move forward on that would protect our country, that would help our people, that would listen to Indian tribes, 
that would ensure that our pristine places continue to be protected. And, um, and so I look so forward to January 20th when Joe Biden uh, is sworn in as our next president. And I believe wholeheartedly that whoever he decides to uh, lead this uh, department um, will, will essentially have a clear agenda on, on what to do. And we went ahead back to the line opinion roundtable now. And uh, we um, got more information this week from the governor about the COVID pandemic here in New Mexico, and particularly around the crush that our hospitals are under. Uh, You hear a lot about bed counts. We got a lot more clarity on that this week, that bed counts doesn't just include the number of beds and equipment, but it's also the people to um, assist those patients. And we are basically have reached that capacity or close enough where now hospitals have presented um, plans to the governor for how to, in effect, ration care as cases continue to climb. And as we sit here Friday, we had uh, over 1,700 new cases confirmed and 43 new deaths. Again, we throw out a lot of numbers when it comes to COVID. want to make sure everybody takes the time to remember that each of those numbers is a person and that this is a very real threat here in New Mexico, even more so when you consider that we do not have the healthcare resources of a lot of other states. And so there is a lot to be considered, decisions nobody takes lightly, but the reality is we are headed towards a place and already seeing some of the impacts of making to, having to make some very tough decisions around people's health care. So let's get more on this discussion now from Gene Grant and the LINE panel. The news from the front lines in the fight against COVID-19 is grim. Yes, a small number of vaccines are on the way to New Mexico, but deaths have barely abated and hospitals are really at their limit. So much so that Governor Lujan Grisham last week signed an order allowing hospitals to abandon their usual and legally required standards of care to move into crisis mode. And Eric, the state planned for this eventuality, certainly, but truly hoped to avoid it. What do you think hearing the news that hospitals might simply not be able to treat someone who was COVID? What's that going to do to behavior? Will that do anything? Is this a big enough deal for folks out there? Well, I certainly hope so. I keep waiting for the next, the thing that's going to make uh, people to take it more seriously, right? You know, and it's just, I'm still shocked that, that we can't wrap our brains around it, that we're still having this debate about you know, you can, there's got to be a magic way to still uh, get around the science, right? And, and it's just shocking to me how much, how much uh, abuse the governor and the public health folks have taken for just trying to protect, protect folks. Like, I get it. Like, you know, we support small businesses, but like, there's got to be, uh, if we're ever going to get past this, um, we've got to agree as a community, as a species that like, this is going to be hard for a while, but let's get past it so we can get back to normal life. And, you know, this is yet another huge red flag, and I'm hoping I see changes in behavior. But every day I walk out to walk my dog, and I'll see people, you know, walking around with no masks. And I'm just like, what's it going to take? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just there's this cognitive distance, dissonance that's still happening with a lot of folks here and all around the country, all around the world. It's not just a New Mexico thing, you know. It's And I, I'm really worried that I hope this will finally hit home for folks that we got to take this seriously. And if we do it just for a few months, right. we can get past this, right? Well, the president-elect is asking for 100 days. And uh, Senator Snyder, uh, you know, the concept of ration ca- rationed care, that is just antithetical to most folks or every, anybody in the medical business. Have you, been, have you been hearing from folks in the medical business? I know you deal with a lot of, a lot of folks I, out there. Uh, one of the things that they're uh, happy about is being allowed, like, the standard of care is now because we've got a shortage of healthcare who can deal with the COVID or are dealing with the COVID patients. Right. And so, and, and this is probably a poor example, but it would allow uh, a pediatrician who is an MD to move over and, and meet that standard of care of taking care of COVID people. Mm-hmm. That if you have, and, and it would also allow retired physicians and nurses and and healthcare providers of all kinds to come back in and help because it allows a little flexibility of 
of having the numbers of people, because that's one of the problems, particular problems we have in New Mexico. We do, we all know we don't have enough physicians or nurses or any of those people. So that does allow them a little flexibility. Mm -hmm. But when you get into saying rationing care and saying you can have it, but you can't have it, I think that's that becomes a very serious issue for the public. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I think uh, because one of the things they're saying is if you have underlying conditions, then you're not as likely, they don't believe that you would have a, a, as good a chance of surviving. And considering I have an underlying condition, mm -hmm. that kind of ma makes me a little concerned about that and worrying about how can we handle and are we just saying okay all the old people won't get any ventilators or get care and i'm not saying it means that sure. but the public the public will think that at some point so one of the things that i think we do need to do and i did hear the uh new mexico medical society say is we have to have some protection not of malfeasance that's right. different right but protections for because of the unique situation of the disease so yeah. our care Healthcare providers need some kind of help. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Dan, you know, the idea that big hospitals are under stress, you can't help thinking about the smaller hospitals in the rural parts of our state, you know, and the ping-ponging back and forth. You know, if you, if, if you don't have beds in Quay County, you have to bring somebody somewhere, and that's probably going to be Bernalillo County, but we're out of beds too. You see the dilemma here? And so the same question I asked Eric, is this the final thing to get folks to change some behavior here? No, I, I think it's just adding to, you know, look, I, I agree with what Eric said. I, you know, I mask up, socially distance, do mm -hmm. the things we need to do. Um, you know, I don't believe this is some, you know, crazy government conspiracy. I will say that at all levels, both Republicans and Democrats on the government side have handled this thing disastrously. I mean, we when you're hearing conflicting messages, when you're getting conflicting numbers, when you're hearing things like just the other day, you know, I'm looking online and we're at 800 and something uh, COVID beds in New Mexico, right? I mean, oh, the hospital is full. We got 800 people. I think we hit 1,000 the other day. There's 1,000 people and the hospital's overflowing. Then you go online and you look at just the acute care beds in the state of New Mexico, almost 5,000. So I'm like, so if you got 1,000 people in there with COVID, do we have 4,000 other people in there with other things? And then there's constant anecdotal. Well, there's, there's I mean, sta the staffing issues that have to go with those beds. As no, but, well, but that's that's that the, the, those just so you know, Gene, mm -hmm. those 5000 beds that that are on the Department of Health websites is not the number of beds that are that are out there in a building. They're the number of beds that are staffed. It's the staffed beds. There's multiple more beds. Mm -hmm. There's a significantly higher number of beds that we don't have the staffing for. And, and which leads you to the other question, right, is why does it take this pandemic? We've been talking about doctor problems in New Mexico since sure. I've sure. been a kid, right? I mean, if it wasn't yeah. for the, J, the J-1 visa program, we wouldn't have doctors in southeastern New Mexico and towns like Roswell. We have zero retention of mm -hmm. keeping these doctors here. So I think that I think that, you know, one of the things that's been that I'm, I'm hoping is going to happen eventually is at some point everybody's got to put down their political spear and stop the fighting and say okay listen how do we fix this and let i me think make, let me make a suggestion maybe it's about money um and let me ask a senator no, Griego I, I, I think about money's, that i think money's i think money's a big part of it gene but sure. i would also say is I, I would say both sides have taken this crisis to politicize it and mm -hmm. i think that turns the average american off there you go uh senator Griego. you know the state announced a hundred million dollar grant program uh, that's going to be rolling out this week for businesses impacted by COVID, but it has to be used quickly. It's a short application window. Your sense of how the state has helped businesses and others here, is this too much, too little, too late? Is this just in time? What's your sense of the $100 million? I feel like if you, if you add the city stuff, the state stuff, there's a lot of federal money that's been dispersed. I think people have tried to help. I mean, obviously, it's a tough, tough, uh, it's tough, tough impact on on small and local businesses, mm -hmm. particularly, right? But it's not. It hasn't been for lack of trying to get money to them. I and mean, there's there's also been some serious uh, administrative and issues at the at the federal level in terms of some of that CARES Act money and the and the PPE money and so on. Um, but um, I think that the the frame of this has to be public health, not, you know, there's a lot of dominance, like, what are we going to do for business? What are we going to do for business? What are we going to do for business? We're in a public health crisis. So we got to be talking about fixing that and then we can get back to business. Right. So I do think that there seems to be this overemphasis on, geez, we, we just, you know, what, what can we do? And so I'm hoping that part of this conversation is 
And I just noticed in the re, in reupping the the Federal Cares Act that they they left out the paid sick leave. Like there's got to be uh, uh, a realization that we're never going to get the economy back on track as long as we keep we keep uh, sending sick people into workplaces, especially essential workers in restaurants mm-hmm. and in retail and grocery stores. Right. So. We should be having this conversation in a much more uh, comprehensive way. And it's not just about helping businesses through. It's about protecting public health and making, making sure workers can get through it, right? Because mm-hmm. the economy is never going to re- re- recover if you got if all your workers are sick. <laughs> That's a good point there. We're out of time on that issue. We're back in a few minutes to look ahead to the issues and faces that will take center stage at the state capitol next month. Stick with healthcare here for a little while on the show. Um, we just got done talking about uh, physical health care. There's also mental health care, which we know is equally in demand as this pandemic continues to roll on. People feel isolated, depression, nerves raw. Just it's a tough time for all of us. Lots of folks are, are seeking mental health um, help in the form of therapy and counseling And not surprisingly, there's a backlog here in the state for that. It can take up to a month to get in to see someone. So we wanted to uh, find out a little bit more about that situation um, with a a practitioner here, as well as someone who is seeking uh, counseling for the first time. And because we know that there is the backlog, we also wanted to get some practical information on what folks can do while they're waiting for those appointments. So... Uh, We're going to turn it now to correspondent Megan Kamrick for this interview on mental health. Thank you for joining us, Ryan and Dr. Chavez. Ryan, I want to start with you. You've been seeking therapy for the first time, right? Can you tell us about that experience? Yes, I was feeling very depressed recently within the last month or two. And it got to the point where it was affecting my personal relationships. And that was the point where I decided to go to the doctor, set up an appointment and seek treatment. And go ahead. Mm -hmm. It was a, it was a, it was a difficult process. I must say. Why was that? How long did it take you to get an appointment? I originally scheduled an appointment and then when I went in, they told me that there was no appointment scheduled. So then I had to schedule a consecutive meeting. And then when I went in, I wasn't able to see a therapist in person until December. And after a couple of weeks, they they called me and rescheduled uh, into January. So I won't be seeing a therapist until January 12th. Wow, that's that's a long time. So that must be really frustrating to wait that long to talk to someone, especially when you thought you were going to go in and talk to someone that day. How how are you coping in the meantime? I'm doing all right. They prescribed me some antidepressants, and that's doing pretty well for me. Um, I'm trying to stay busy and stay motivated. Um, in the meantime, trying to keep myself preoccupied, so distract myself from yeah. that but it, it's difficult and i would like to be able to to seek counsel for my sake and for the sake of my relationships definitely definitely i can understand that um dr chavez could you talk broadly about how did this cocktail of cold weather short winter days and this ongoing pandemic can impact our mental health yes well great question and yeah, uh, Ryan, I'm sorry to hear about your situation. That's that's sort of, I don't want to say it's par for New Mexico, but that a lot of that is going on. A lot of that is going on. When we're looking at, at the pandemic that we're dealing with, which a lot of people are came up with a new, new uh, concept of pandemic fatigue, not only is a pandemic alone creating confusion, so many mixed messages from so many different sources. We don't know in many cases which one to believe. Or are you ridiculed for wearing a mask? Are you not? Is it helping? Is it not? There's all these other things. So you throw some anxiety into that mix or depression or anger or frustration. You, you then are creating a, sort of this, this mixture of uncertainty. And that is really difficult to deal with. I understand that for sure. And so when we think of the pandemic itself, you know, trying to deal with it measurably by like, let's say start with masks, for example, 
okay, whether somebody feels it's going to help or not, is it going to hurt to use it? Probably not. So let's let's start to kind of chip away at what is making us feel the way we feel. In my line of therapy, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, we look at thoughts which affect emotion, which manifest a behavior or an action. So if the thoughts are distorted, along comes this emotion that might be a, you know, a negative emotion like suicidality or anger or you know, going out and doing something crazy. And so um, if we can learn to adjust our thoughts first and not directly go after the emotion, because when you, you know this in talking to a child who's emoting, they get worse the more you talk to them because they're emoting. That has to settle down. The thought has to increase. And then all of a sudden we have a little more clarity of understanding or a cognitive sort of basis of understanding. And so so there's a lot of multiple things going on with this pandemic that we sort of need to uh, address. But number one, the fact that we're stuck at home, you know, so all of a sudden here comes cabin fever and people are either working at home and arguing with each other because they're not used to seeing face to face all the time. And those that come home, the healthcare workers who come home and they can't hug their family. You know, and that tactile connection, tactile connection is so important to survival, just of our species of being able to feel that hug or that kiss or something to, to regroup internally, mentally, physically, emotionally, and in some cases, spiritually. A lot of people are struggling like Ryan to get counseling appointments during the pandemic. Why do you think this is happening? Are you seeing this? Well, right now I am seeing that. And part of what's happening is when we talk about healthcare workers, mental healthcare workers are sort of in a similar boat and that we're getting, uh, for example, in my case, I've had people call me who I discharged three years ago mm. who had anxiety or depression. And all of a sudden they're saying, I'm getting some recurrence or some things are coming back to me and I'm feeling, you know, scared, anxious, angry, paranoid or whatever, uh, or maybe in some rare cases, some suicidality. And so, uh, yes, without a doubt, this is what's going on. Now, there are a number of ways to deal with that. And I mean, I'm glad that you got medication, Ryan. That's really cool, man. That was really good move on everybody's part. On the other hand, if you contact your provider, whoever that might be, or your insurance company that has providers, I would definitely ask them if there's any other people taking clients now. If they're not, get on somebody's waiting list. And for example, right now I will have a, I'll have openings. Uh, I had one, for example, today that we filled immediately, but because now, even with the fact that people are trying to get in, there are people who are canceling appointments periodically because they for example, don't want to leave the house or they don't want to do it on, on a video chat or they don't want to do it on the phone. So there's a lot of variables because there's a lot of uncertainties in the world right now, especially with the pandemic. So I would definitely let your provider know and say, listen, please let me be on your wait list because this, you know, this, 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 I need these certain things. You know, so uh, by all means, that's what I'm telling people to do. And I am, some people are getting their appointments that way. Are you seeing people in person? I am seeing people in person periodically. I have a big enough office that I could do that. We require masks, hand sanitizer. We take their temperature, any predisposition, stuff like that. We're very cautious of. Uh, but uh, I would say probably over 60% are either on phone or on Skype. And uh, what can people do while they're waiting for appointments? Like very Ryan, good. they can't get in. What kinds of things, any tips you have for them? Yes. So depending on what your, uh, you normally do, for example, there's some people who are spiritual type folks. They may deal with the people in their church or their whatever. That's one component. Uh, letting family know what's happening. Because if we seclude, we end up creating and following those distorted thoughts I was talking about earlier. You know, so if we live with those thoughts and we're all alone and we don't get feedback from other people, we then end up exacerbating the thinking, which then exacerbates the emotion, which then may exacerbate the, the desire to, to, to drink or to oversleep or to not get out of bed or not bathe. And so we need to create this sort of connection with people. So that would be the first thing. You know, if you live alone, connect with folks. I know we can't do it face to face always, but connection with people is really probably the number one thing. And check in with your primary care doctor if you cannot get a therapist or a psychologist or psychiatrist 
And that way they might be able to, in the case of medication, they could prescribe something for that if it's not from a mental health practitioner, but from your primary care who can will have stuff in their formulary medications to help you. There are a number of, of crisis lines as well. The warm line in New Mexico, exactly. Agora, the, yeah. So. And, and also bibliotherapy is not bad either. Uh, books that are available. Now be really, I want to be very aware of what you're getting online because that's one, that's the other thing that's I think causing panic within the pandemic is we'll read something online and it says this. Well, if you're going to do that, make sure that you're looking at things that are reputable and, uh, journals that are juried, uh, you know, like Google, Google Scholar is probably a little cleaner than Google itself. Check out Medscape, check mm. different things that would give you things that you can actually rely on that are tested and reliable and valid information instead of, you know, some guy who's putting stuff out because he feels like it on, you know, on something. So be very cautious of that. Ryan, do any of those tips and resources appeal to you? Would you add anything to them? No, that sounds really helpful. I'd, I'd definitely like to try that. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you've been doing right now for self-care um, while you wait to see someone in addition to getting medication? I've been trying to work on a lot of art projects, uh, doing commission work. Uh, I like to do charcoal portraits and that's helped me. Wow. Uh, it's very therapeutic to me. But even then, it's been difficult to stay motivated. The other hat I wear is I'm a musician. And so it's re it's real important that when you talk about creative side as an artist, okay, to access that, because you know as well as I do, sometimes your creativity can be clouded by how we're feeling, which was then created by thoughts of like, where am I? What's Where am I at? What's going on? Is When's this going to end? And so sometimes art grows out of that, you know, obviously. So in some cases, art grows out. On the other hand, collaboration is very important. So if you have a, a circle of people, you know, like now as musicians, they can trade everything back online. So that's kind of creative. You see the different talk shows, uh, John Batista and Steve Colbert, they have their band, everybody's at home playing. So uh, if you have a love of something, by all means do that. And if you're not a person who meditates, I would suggest you maybe look into meditation or look at things you could do on your own, you know, whether it's Tai Chi or uh, any sort of thing that allows you to, for your body not to take over and for you to control your body and your mind. Um, Dr. Chavez, how can people support their loved ones or friends or coworkers if they sense something might be off with their mental the health? The L yeah. word, which is to listen, okay? <laughs> Trying to fix it right off the bat does not always work when we say, oh, no, I know exactly how you feel. That's not what they want to hear. What they want to hear is that you're hearing them and being able to talk, even if you're going on for a while about this and that, because what you're doing as you're doing that is you're rearranging how you're thinking to then guide how you're feeling. So let, you know, if somebody wants to talk to you, let them talk, let them say what they're saying. And then when it's over, you might say, well, what I heard you say was, to make sure that what you heard was what they meant to say and where they may say, Oh no, no, what I meant was this, because, you know, if it's sounding very crucial or possibly going to a dark area, that's when you might say, Hey, well, listen, do you think maybe you need to speak to a mental health professional or, you know, in some cases in the past, Oh, I would say maybe month and a half, I've probably sent around four or five people to the ER who were, you know, at that point where they weren't quite sure what they were going to do. And so, but with listen, 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 that's the best thing you can do for people right now. And don't always sit there trying to fix that, but listen to it. And then in the process of the collaboration, we might be able to at least arrive at a point where we mellow things out a little. And ask them if they need help or how you yes, can help. Exactly. What can, what can I do instead of we directing them? That's a great point. Thank you so much. We just have about a minute left. Um, Ryan, you're new to the world of counseling. How did you view it beforehand? And what about now? How has how's your views changed during the pandemic? I thought that I was able to handle it myself. Um, and I used my girlfriend a lot to, to help me. Well, she helped me a lot. She counseled me. And she said, finally, I'm not a, 
uh, professional. And while I can listen to you, I might not have the answers that you're looking for. So mm -hmm. I think it would be best that you go and seek professional help um, so that we can all have a healthy discussion about it and get me the proper care that I need. So that's shifted for you. Sounds like you're, you're looking forward to getting engaged in this. Certainly. Yeah, I think it's going to be really helpful. And in the long run, I think it can certainly help. I want to thank you both for coming and talking about these important issues. Um, and hopefully we can encourage people who are facing similar problems to seek resources to reach out when they need help. We'll try and get some of those resources online. But thank you both so much for coming and talking about those. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Ryan. Good luck with your treatment. Thank you. Have a great day. We spent a few extra minutes with our guests on the backlog in terms of trying to schedule therapy and counseling sessions in New Mexico. And a pandemic or not, often it starts with just stigmas or perceptions around um, counseling and, and needing that, that sort of help, as you'll hear our guests talk about. And it was already mentioned, oftentimes we just we don't look at seeking help for our mental well-being like we do if we notice something physically wrong with ourselves, but we need to change our thinking there. And so we spent a few extra minutes talking to them about um, the impacts of that and our patient's personal journey along that front and what we can all glean from that. So here's a little bit extra with Dr. Gerald Ortiz and our patient who is seeking counseling for the first time. Dr. Chavez, Ryan, thanks for talking with us a little bit longer about this issue. Therapy is one of those practices that some people believe in and others don't. And I'd like to ask both of you to say, talk about what you would say to people who might be skeptical about it. Um, maybe I'll start with uh, Ryan, what do you think? I think that it's important to have a dialogue with people in general, I think listening to one another and getting feedback is really important. Not necessarily criticism, but having someone look from a different perspective at your situation and being able to give you a different uh, perspective is, is really helpful. Dr. Chavez. Yeah, I think historically, you know, a lot of folks will look at therapy like, well, I'm not weak and I'm strong enough to handle this. I, I understand that process. Okay. But counseling and or therapy comes in a lot of different forms. Like, you know, Ryan was talking about his, his uh, charcoal work that he does, or I talked about some of the martial arts or the music stuff that I do. And um, so allow yourself the opportunity to find the right venue to vent whatever that might be. It may end up going to an actual therapist or a counselor in your church or a good friend from, uh, from the military you hung out with or your partner like your girlfriend offered you some incredible insight, right? I mean, amazing stuff. And so keep your eyes and ears and heart open to whatever that might be. But always remember that you're the one who's in charge of that action you're in charge of the therapy not the person talking to you and so you you offer the guidance and you but you also listen we hope they listen and in turn if it gets to a point where it really feels like you're fragile then maybe do Ryan, like you were saying you know maybe get check in for some medication and therapy or if you need to go to an er do that because in this, these times are difficult i understand that and never be embarrassed to reach out we never blink an eye if we break an arm. We go right to the ER. But if we have a broken heart or are, are, we're feeling bad inside, oh, there's a stigma to having depression. Well, it's no different than a broken arm, except you can't see it. And it hurts probably more. That's a really great point to get across. Um, I've also had conversations with people sometimes who are like, I tried it. It didn't work. Or I didn't click with right. the therapist. Right. But that's... You know, it, it can take a while, right, to find. When the time is right, and I think with the COVID hanging out here, it's created a lot of time for people to say, wow, I didn't realize, you know, being trapped in this house all this time or watching Walking Dead for 24 hours a day, <laughs> okay, or so whatever it is that's, that we do. And so, no, you're totally correct. 
when the time is right. And you'll be, you'll be the only one knowing that. Like when the alcoholic hits bottom, they know that. And that's when it's time to seek help. And it might take a while to find someone who clicks. Exactly. And many tries. Yeah. Well, thank you again, both of you, for talking about this. I right. It's really important, as you say, to emphasize that there's no shame in struggling, especially right now, and in reaching out. So right. thank well, you. Well, Megan, thank you for what you're doing. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Megan. Thanks, Ryan. All right, one last trip over to the line, Opinion Roundtable. Going to talk some more politics now on a, a more local level. We have started to see some um, bills uh, percolate to the surface as we head into, barrel into really, the 2021 legislative session. So wanted to get a head start on talking about what potentially is coming up there, what we're facing. Um, in addition, got some new numbers, uh, revenue outlook and how that will impact legislation and what lawmakers can and can't do when they come back to meet in late January, middle of January of 2021. So here now we kick it back to Gene Grant and the Line Opinion Roundtable. Oil prices are still slumping. Unemployment is still up. And while generally we'd say the economic picture right now is not a pretty one, the outlook for the state's finances is unexpectedly optimistic. This week, lawmakers heard that economists expect more money to be available for the next budget when they arrive at the Capitol, in person or online, of course, for the legislative session. And Diane Snyder, a couple things here. One, there's almost $170 million in new money for the next year's budget. And two, state reserves are expected to be at better than 30%. That's a pretty rosy outlook. How can lawmakers turn that money into making life better for New Mexicans? Well, spend it on, on helping the small businesses for mm -hmm. one thing, but um, I think the thing that we need to be very careful about is we, we know that if the incoming administration is, is the one that actually takes place, then they have made it very clear, and I don't care how you state that they've made it very clear that they will not be the big supporters of the oil and gas industry. Mm -hmm. And since we rely so much on that, I think that our legislators in this coming session have to balance the current need with what the possibility of having little to no money coming in next year. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, and one of the things, if, and if the uh, COVID continues, then retails, gross receipts taxes, will be going down. Taxes of all kinds will be going down. So uh, it will, that will reduce the amount of income coming in. And then you get into who's going to be in charge of the money. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, we all know there are going to be major changes in the staffing, uh, starting with the president pro tem. Um, uh, one of the things that I find interesting is the total change in the um, Republican Party and the Senate mm -hmm. is how the uh, so I don't know if there are going to be new alliances or if there are going to be all out battles to get the money and where it's going to be. Yeah, that's a good so question. I think it's going to, going to be a difficult time. Yep. I appreciate having three ex-legislators, by the way, talking about this subject. This is interesting budget issues. And Senator Griego, Senator Snyder just made an interesting point. We may be looking good now. But do we have a bit of a lit fuse in the background, meaning a lot of the gross receipts have plummeted uh, upwards of 40% and so down the road, whatever money we have is going to be gone? How, how do you see this from your ex-legislator point of view? Well, the one thing we haven't talked about is there in the bill that's likely to pass, hopefully, uh, Congress is a pretty substantial uh, chunk for local for state governments. I, I, you know, it's it's north of a billion dollars, a billion and a half, actually. So, so if that happens, and there's and that isn't derailed with all the politics happening in Washington, that there's going to be a big uh, federal piece to this that's going to help us through the next year. We just have to get through this next year, right? Mm -hmm. Look, oil and gas, regardless of. The, I, I was, the hey, let me stop you there. When you say just have to get through this next year, do you mean you're assuming a, a rebound back to previous COVID levels or, or, or around the corner? No, I think the, the economy, most people think, including the, the forecast that you heard, are that if we can get through the next year with some help from the federal stimulus, 
everybody, the inevitability of the oil and gas sector has, is that it's phasing out regardless. They're not, you know, there, there is no magic bullet. Even we all decided like, we're not, we're going to do a single renewable energy, green energy thing. It's not sustainable. The industry itself is not sustainable. So as we ramp up green energy, as we diversify our economy into lots of other sectors, that's how the economy is going to adjust. It's something we should have been doing for the last 20 years. But that transition is already happening. You saw the Netflix things happen. There's a lot of industries that are really going to start to really diversify the New Mexico economy. And we've been kind of forced into it. But even uh, without this pandemic, we have to transition away from those revenue streams. The, the federal government hopefully will help us through this really tough period that we're going to have in the next year. The fact that there is a big chunk of reserves is going to help us. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it's just really, honestly, it's making it through the next year and a half and then really, really kind of reconfiguring our economy as we've already started doing to really rely on a much more diverse set of, of revenue sources. And one more thing, like we've got to really take a look at where our, our tax structure again, because right. there is still a really uh, not so progressive tax structure and we have to pass things like capital gains reform. We have to ask the richest folks in the state to, to do more. And we have to roll back some of those corporate tax cuts that never have really come to fruition in terms of jobs. If we really diversify our revenue streams, we don't have to be so reliant on oil and gas and we can actually get to a long-term sustainable budget. Mm-hmm. Dan Foley, let me pivot here a little bit. Interesting, uh, Senator Snyder made mention of this. A lot of new faces in the legislature uh, coming up this next session. Who's gonna be the difference maker up there in your view? What, what, what person are you gonna be watching closely? Well, clearly, you're gonna to have to watch the new Senate Republican leader. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's been Stuart Engel since I think uh, Christ was a choir boy. And so, you know, it's, it's, that's gonna be a different, uh, that's gonna be a definite change. I mean, Stuart, um, you know, people, people don't realize that from, you know, the stories that I was told when I first got up there that, you know, when Stuart first got elected, him and Tim Jennings shared an office together, the way it was set up, that they actually worked together in the same office. Mm-hmm. So you have kind of the old guard, get along, come to compromise type stuff. Um, How about Mimi gone. Stewart? How about Mimi Stewart? What do you think the impact of her is going to be? Oh, I, you know, listen, Mimi's been the, Mimi was progressive before progressive was cool. You know, I mean, when I was in the legislature, you know, we just called her far left. Um, you know, uh, Mimi, I, I hope that I hope that Comrade Eric and his group are uh, recognizing Mimi for her foundation of uh, progressivism in New Mexico at some point, because she was doing, you know, this progressive stuff long before anybody else would talk about it. I mean, I remember when I was in the legislature, Mimi was the outlier, right? Mimi was that's the far left over there. And uh, so, you know, I think that, you know, the one thing I will say, though, is don't underestimate her. Okay. Uh, and now that she's in a leadership position, uh, you know, I can tell you right now that 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 woman right there can can wield some power and is going to be very effective. Um, I think also at the end of the day, you know, Eric threw a lot out there and, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to get in all of that with it with Eric. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, we have to remember this. By constitution, we have to have a balanced budget. There's a reason why you're hearing from the economists like you do now. They work for the legislature. And, you know, every time that I was there, you know, you got those guys in there. Everything is based on oil and gas. And you just squeeze those guys until you come up with the number you need to back into the budget you want. So, you know, I think that um, Eric, Eric, Eric's not wrong on his diversifying the economy. But, you know, when you're diversifying the economy, it's really not a theory of if you build it, they will come. You got to have a plan. And, you know, when we start looking at attracting sustainable jobs and bringing people to these to this state, we don't have water. We don't have the things that are needed. We have a horrible crime situation. I mean, businesses are not wanting to relocate here. So let me jump in here real quick and let me ask Eric about the same question about Mimi Stewart. Um, you know, there's a lot of things on the table. Early childhood and disbursements from the land uh, grant permanent fund, as you know, repeal the uh, abortion decriminalization. Decriminal- uh, there's a lot of things. Recreational marijuana. I can't, you know, ignore that. What's what do you what, what's your sense of the impact? Maybe Stewart's going to have in this new position. Oh, she's a force. I mean, she's been she's got as much experience as anybody up there, and she's tenacious. I, I think she is progressive. Um, I think that she understands that she's got to be representing as the, the entire body. You know, the pro tem is supposed to work with everybody, but she also knows because she's been fighting for this stuff for 20 years. The time has come that for this disinvestment that we've had in a lot of the basic human capital investments we've been talking about for a generation, like early childhood, like really uh, um, obviously repealing that that draconian uh, abortion law. 
um, like legalizing like marijuana where that we can actually do it in a way that's responsible and regulated, but also generate some revenue. So I think um, not just Mimi, but the leadership team, you know, you have, you have a lot of experience on the, on the, in the new Senate uh, leadership team, mm-hmm. you know, same, same majority leader, but you also have Linda Lopez now as whip who's been in the Senate a long time as well. Um, so I, and then this new freshman class, seven new freshmen uh, Democrats, um, all of whom are already getting really organized. They're really smart, really passionate. And I think they're going to be a force in and of themselves. So I think what we're going to see is a lot of pent up legislation that should have been passed 10 years ago is going to pass, including the constitutional wait, amendment for early 10 years ago. Isn't that when you were in the Senate? Isn't that when exactly. I mean, well, that's so, what's wait, the first all these, all these new senators are really highly educated because they've, they're taking the Griego mantra and they're going forward finally with it. finally <laughs> they're catching up but you know the permanent fund just last thing gene you know the permanent fund you know has been pretty stable it's close to 20 billion dollars and right. we still keep saying we can't touch what? it we can't touch it we can't touch it what? and this is the year that i think we're going to touch it and we're going to actually invest in in kids zero to five and you know, there may be some more to for for k-12 in there as well so in addition to all this other fundraising remember we're sitting on a 20 billion dollar fund that we can afford to take a little more out of. Mm-hmm. Senator, one, if you can do it in 10 we, seconds. Mm-hmm. 10 seconds. One thing you need to remember, all these companies coming in, think about all the incentives we're giving them and who's paying for that. It's oil and gas money that we're paying it for. So before there's a time lapse between getting them here and making them profitable Fair as enough. to income coming into the state. Fair enough. Hey guys, thanks to all as panelists for keeping on top of the news this week. Our land is next. All right, we teased it off the top of the show, but uh, there's so much bad news, depressing news out there. We wanted to flip the switch a little bit, do something a little more fun, call it our Christmas gift and our holiday gift to all of you, the audience. But it is the second uh, Friday of the month, which means it's time for Our Land, our environmental series. And we wanted to take a little different approach this month and really celebrate one of the natural wonders that makes New Mexico such a magical place, and that is the bosque, especially here in Albuquerque. So correspondent Laura Pascas is going to give you a festival for the senses here, really in terms of the sights, the sounds, everything that makes the bosque in the autumn so amazing. And as you hear her talk about, I think we all understand how lucky we are to have this in our backyard but not necessarily something we think about as much this time of year in late fall. But there are a lot of perks to being in the Bosque this time of year. Uh, it's a great way to see, of course, the sandhill cranes that migrate through and park themselves all along the Rio Grande. Uh, it's also a good time of year to spot porcupines up in trees. Uh, but that just really touches, um, just scratches the surface of all the amazing things you can find spending a little time in the Bosque this time of year. And we wanted to share some of her thoughts about this special place and why it's so important that we do all we can to protect it. So without further ado, here is Laura Paskis and this month's Our Land. We also need to demand more for the river, more for the Bosque. And remember, this too is our home. For New Mexico in Focus and Our Land, I'm Laura Paskus. Hope you enjoyed that tour of the Bosque in autumn. Again, we encourage you. It's a great piece to listen to, but it's it's really uh, ratchet it up a notch if you can watch all the beautiful visuals that our great team here at New Mexico PBS uh, captured for this video. On a shout out to um, our production manager, Anthony Lostetter, who shot a lot of the footage in here, as well as our videographers, Kevin Maestas and Benjamin Cody Yaza. Uh, Kevin also edited this piece, and it really is something to behold. You can find it a lot of different places. You can go to our website at newmexicoandfocus.org and look for the videos under Our Land. It'll be right there. You can find it on the New Mexico and Focus Facebook page or the Our Land Facebook page. And especially with the Our Land Facebook page, if you haven't already signed up to follow and to like that page, we encourage you to do that. Lots of great stuff there. We have a photo album to accompany this piece. 
uh, some extra clips, um, lots of great stuff there. So I encourage you, if you haven't already, go follow and like that page. There's also an Arland-specific YouTube page where this will be, but you can find it on the New Mexico and Focus YouTube page as well. And again, if you just subscribe to those channels, you'll get notices right away when you log into YouTube when we release new videos there. So I encourage you to do that uh, today. You won't regret it at all. Um, but with that, we're going to end this week's show with some thoughts from host Gene Grant, as we always do. And this week, it's a special tribute to someone who was very important to New Mexico PBS over the years. Those of you who have been longtime watchers know the name Hal Rhodes, longtime producer and host here, uh, especially in the 1980s with the shows On Assignment and Illustrated Daily. Unfortunately, Hal passed away recently after a long battle with cancer. We appreciate all of his contributions over the years and uh, everything he did for New Mexico. So we're going to take a little walk down memory lane. Uh, you get to hear Hal Rhodes in action from his heyday and Gene's thoughts about his lasting legacy. We hope you all have a terrific weekend, that you find ways to stay safe and stay healthy. We'll be back with a whole lot more stuff for you next week here on New Mexico In Focus. Take care. Harold V. Rhodes passed away late last month. It's a loss for the UNM family, where Hal was a political science professor for two decades. It's a loss as well for the New Mexico PBS family, where it could be argued Hal Rhodes changed the local news reporting landscape. He was that prolific. From right here in this studio, Hal hosted and produced the nightly show, The Illustrated Daily, and the KME weekly show many of you remember, On Assignment. It's an extraordinary commitment, and I don't mind telling you, I'm a bit in awe of it. Here's a bit of Hal from On Assignment. Next, On Assignment with Hal Rhodes. Good evening. This is a story about economic and environmental interest in conflict, and according to some, about political timidity and bureaucratic buck-passing. Slipping through the cracks in any event is the opportunity to reintroduce to its natural habitat the all-but-extinct Mexican gray wolf, the legendary lobo which until early in this century roamed vast areas of Texas and Arizona and our own New Mexico. Along the way, Hal Rhodes won a regional Emmy and wrote for many years for the New Mexico News Services. Now, legacy doesn't come easy or often, but Hal Rhodes left an indelible mark on a university, a television station, and our community. It's a legacy that is deserving of the word.